Hey people, it's your girl Tasha Ray, the host of Womanhood Decoded, where each week we endeavor to explore the intersections of womanhood, motherhood, and sexuality. So today we are going to be taking a deep dive into aspects of two of those categories. I have with me Mr. Terrell Anderson, who is a life coach among many, 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 many other talents. And I am just so excited for this podcast episode. Welcome to the show, Mr. Anderson. Thank you, Tasha, for having me. <laughs> so I want to get right into it, if that's okay with you. Let's get into it. Let's go. So as it pertains to what I have coined the microwave social media speed dating mentality, <laughs> what are your thoughts as a man moving and navigating life in 2021? Well, I mean, I'm going to say it's been quite interesting. I mean, you find different methods of dealing with stuff. I know COVID has been crazy. I know that's the, the, the language right now, but you just have to be inventive and creative, especially when it comes to finding a partner or even going on a date. So navigating that has created this whole scenario where we are beginning to challenge or utilize the art of conversation a whole lot more than we would in past situations. I think that the restrictions of not being able to physically be involved or in event spaces or things of that nature, we've had to go on apps more and rely on verbal cues and texting and all of that and just actually spend more time investing into learning or creating conversations. So it's been quite interesting to say the least. Okay. That is very insightful as I knew it would be. If we could dive a little bit deeper, can you give me your thoughts on what or how you would define emotional intelligence as it applies to navigating a relationship in this day and age? Okay. Well, I would like to say for me, I view emotional intelligence as the capacity to be able to listen, receive, and as well give. Emotionally intelligence just comes from the ability to allow yourself to feel or to have these thoughts or emotions uh, and not run away from them. Uh, I can speak for myself as a man at some points in my life. I shied away from them because they didn't feel comfortable for me. Growing up, you're not told you're not you're loved or incidents and things or trauma has dictated that you need to suck it up or you need to just tough it out and I'm of the mindset now having done some real intricate work on self that I don't have to toughen it up and it's okay for me to cry it's okay for me to be able to express how I feel more importantly it's okay for me to want something that most people may or may not subscribe to uh, I believe having an understanding of oneself being able to embrace the different changes and things that we are as individuals gives us the the bandwidth or the capability of allowing these feelings and thoughts to gain us an emotional intelligent iq rating 
which gives us the ability or a scoring chart to see where we are. Uh, I myself, I'm not going to say I'm on the higher chain of emotional <laughs> intelligence with my IQ, but I am very in touch with myself emotionally and uh, and with my feelings. I learned to be okay with not being okay and sitting in the discomfort of knowing of the unknown, so to speak. Um, so I think that emotional intelligence as it pertains to me as being a black man, uh, it has to do with my ability to understand self and have compassion for others or the significance that I choose to engage. Wow, that is heavy. And I love it. <laughs> not even, not even. It's just my perspective. That's all. So what I would like to do is do something different. And that is we play a little bit of a role, um, role play. Are you open to that? Sure, uh, I can do that. Okay. So obviously I'm going to play the role of a woman. And you're going to play the role of a woman. (laughs) (laughs) I know you can, but for the purposes of this episode, I'll play the role of the woman. You play the role of the man. And I am going to come to you um, as a significant other or as your significant other. And I am going to ask you to respond in an emotionally intelligent way so that the audience can get a real sense of what that looks like. Because I think oftentimes when we speak about these things, people think of it from a very intellectual perspective, but they don't really um, break it down into what it looks like in an actual real life interaction. So that's what the purpose of this role play is. Okay, I'm, I'm more than willing to engage in this. Okay, great. So, hey, love, how's your day going? I'm all right, you sweetheart. What's, what, what's going on? How was your day? Ugh, so much, so, 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 so much. I was in traffic. I was in meetings. I dealt with people that I felt did not see me for who I am and why that impacted me is I felt like my work was undervalued today. And I feel like I did my best for it not to impact me or affect me, but on my way home in the traffic, I felt this huge, heavy feeling, physical heavy feeling on my chest. And I really don't know what I can do to switch my heaviness off. I don't, I haven't been able to find an off switch. What I normally do as far as um, utilizing tools and strategies like listening to music to lift my emotional um, mood or listening to a guided meditation or listening to nature music hasn't helped. So the reason why I'm coming to you as my significant other is I would like you, if you're open to it, to, I don't know, do you mind helping me explore why I'm feeling like this? I, I would definitely love to do that. But first, let me let me say some things. because I, I realize you had a hard day and I can hear it in your voice that it's been a little bit tumultuous. So I would like to first acknowledge that you are definitely in your bag. You're doing what you need to do, and I so appreciate you for doing that. And the struggles and the things that you go through on a day-to-day basis, I want to validate and acknowledge that they're real. And 
I want to give us an opportunity to first, you know, kind of just breathe together. You know, can I get a hug? Can I get some type of reciprocation of understanding that you're in the safe place with me and um, let you know that I'm here for you and we want to sit down, maybe unpack with some wine or something or have, you know, a juice box or whatever you want to drink. <laughs> just kind of get us in a safe place. I can't even believe that I'm laughing right now. So apparently what we're doing in this interaction is already helping. Well, I mean, my idea is to help you. Uh, I understand it's been rough. So let me get the juice. Why don't you have a seat? Uh, I'll grab it and we'll sit down and we can unpack. And, you know, I just want to know, like, where how are you feeling like through it all? Like right now, the day is over, you're home. You want to unpack what did you what did your day feel like in those courses with those negative interactions like how did it feel for you to be there made me feel like i did a lot of soul searching in the moment mm -hmm. i was wondering why was i at this particular company and so i arrived at the fact that generally speaking i do enjoy the work that i do however it's the co-workers that are the issue when I'm dealing with the clients, everything is everything, but you know how it is as far as inner office politics and being that I am a black woman working in New York city that comes with it. <sighs> all okay. sorts of microaggressions I deal with on a daily basis. Mm. For example, Someone will book an appointment with me and they would have been referred. However, in the referral process, they aren't told that I am a black woman. So mm. when I go to greet them in the lobby or at the receptionist area, I am often met with a face of confusion and a body language stance that is instead of it being warm and receptive, I get, you know, stand offishness. And so immediately I overcompensate by being extra bubbly, extra excited. You know how I can be in those situations. And um, I just feel like I'm in a perpetual state of always having to prove myself, even though I have proven myself as far as my career. And I feel like whenever I encounter a new client, I have to go and start from the very beginning of I, you are safe with me. The account is going to be taken care of. I work in the space of nonprofits and speaking candidly, white women take their nonprofits very seriously. Um, they view their nonprofits um, as an extension of themselves. They often refer to them as their babies. Huh. And so um, I try to handle both the client and their nonprofit vision with care. That said, all day, I feel like I'm sort of putting on a facade, not sort of, I am, in that I need to, it's a balancing act where I have to utilize my personality, but I'm not able to really tap into my spiritual side. 
I'm not able to make any references to my black culture. It's like everyone recognizes I'm black, but it is an unspoken elephant in the room. So when I come home, like I am today, I'm attempting or doing my Deadpool maximum effort to <laughs> leave it at the door. As you can see, it's weighing me down. Right. Well, let me first say that you don't have to leave it at the door. Allow me to help you unpack it so that the baggage can be carried through, but not carried in. And what I mean by that is you're more than welcome to bring whatever you want to bring into the home. However, getting what's in the bag out, let's get through that by just taking it one step at a time. And I want you to understand that your worth is not based upon the opinion of people. And I, I heard you in this statement when you're talking about the job and this, that let's do this. Let's not make it about anything other than the gold. The gold was to achieve a contract, which I'm pretty sure you did. Am I right? I did. Okay. So let's say shout out for that. Kudos. Congratulations. You did it in spite of, and look at what you had to persevere. You persevered uh, a form of racism. You persevered some classism there. There's so many challenges in that process that you persevered, but you still made it, right? And not only did you make it, but you succeeded. So let's shout out for that. Let's celebrate that. Because that in itself is a victory, and that shows the resilience in Tasha. Like, Tasha is a resilient woman who strived for her best, and she did her best in spite of. I know the feeling of inadequacies might have came, but guess what? You're more than enough for me. You're more than enough for what we have and i think that in itself uh should be enough to get you through and if it isn't guess what let me know what i can do to help you i'm not the best in your non-for-profit because that's not my bag but you know if you need me to come and bring you some lunch or something if you need me to just come with it just for about five minutes just to say hey just to break the monotony you know we can go for a quick walk whatever it takes to get you in a place where you can find peace and balance throughout the day you know if maybe i'll call you and leave your voicemail that you can check, you know, I want to do whatever I can to alleviate some of that added stress in real time, even though I may be busy with work or busy in my own transactions in the day. I want to make sure that you have something or a safe place to go back to remind you that you are valued, you are appreciated and you are very much worthy of all of your hire. You know, I think that it's OK to not be OK and have this anger, but when you're home, allow this place to be your place of peace you know let me be your fortress of solitude i can take it you know i want to help you unpack and i want to put some of the clothes up for you while you sit down and relax wow thank you so much mr anderson that was amazing <laughs> <laughs> so my question is i'm sure everybody is eager to know First of all, when you are assisting your clients, what is the starting point in getting a man to the point that he was in that verbal exchange? Like how much work is involved to get a person to evolve to that level of emotional intelligence and self-awareness? I mean, first of all, I'll be honest, it takes 
for me, what it took for me, it took a traumatic change in my life. Huh. I had to lose a lot in order to gain this type of introspective look. Um, if I'm operating in my truth and I'm being transparent for a moment, um, a chain of events in my life happened where as to which I really hit a wall. And that wall hit me so hard that I, I, I couldn't breathe physically as well as emotionally. I was oh. shut off. I wouldn't allow myself to feel emotion. I wouldn't allow myself. I had felt like I had to be this strong human being for everybody. It's like the Superman syndrome. Uh-huh. You know, um, Superman had to be everywhere for everybody and everything to stop everything. And when he couldn't do it, he felt so hurt and so damaged. But guess what? While Superman was being Superman, Clark Kent's life went to shambles. Uh-huh. I can't put the cape on and be everything for everybody else and not tend to myself. Uh-huh. Uh, and at that breaking point, I realized how much myself was worth. And not only how much myself was worth, but just understanding as a man, I'm okay with not being okay. And I say this really often, and I say phrases like, I'm okay with not being okay, or sitting with the discomfort. Because it's not comfortable as a man to express how I feel if I've never been given that opportunity as a kid. What we learn as children or as, as young young male adults, we're learned at an early age how to interact. If I was from a single parent home, but um, I never had a male figure around, so all the male figures that I had in my life were figures in the streets. So I was taught by them be hard, be strong, be this, you know, men don't cry, this, that, and the third. And then when I came back home, I was taught the same thing by these strong women who had to be father-like figures. And they didn't build, nope, you got to carry this, you got to do this. But also, I thank God for my grandmother who just was like, no, you don't have to. You know, it's okay. And don't get me wrong, she was tough as nails and you never saw her crying. And to be honest with you, my grandmother never said, I loved you. I never heard that word until I was in my late 20s. I never heard any my grandmother say, I love you. I didn't hear my mother say, I love you until she was passing away. Wow. And so as a kid growing up, never hearing those words, I'm not, I'm hard into the words. So when I first heard it, I was like, yeah, whatever. I thought it was just something you said, but I'm embracing that and feeling that emotion and feeling that change. Um, if I'm being honest, I think the first time I felt emotion was when I found that I was going to have a son. Hmm. I think the first time that I actually felt like something on the inside, you know, that tingly feeling is like, oh, what is this? Something is weird is going on inside of my body. And I got excited for the first time in my life. I was really excited and happy. And wow. I didn't want to let that feeling go. Right. And so that began to open me up to my emotions. And then I began to feel anger and aggression. And it's either 100% in or 100% out at that time because I didn't do any self-work to understand or identify the things that triggered my emotions and actually learn how to control them. And so that was my first entry point to feeling emotions and understanding emotions. And it wasn't in a healthy way, but it was there. So I think at that age, that was kind of like the breaking point for me to start to feel these emotions on a level where they registered that they're real for me. You know, wow. um, react, react, right, right. So like all through my years, I never really knew what emotions was from the age of one up until I want to say my son, uh, 17. I never knew 
how to feel emotional. I just knew that, you know, I was pissed and I just kept it to myself because I was told to shut up. You know, what goes on in the house stays in the house. You don't have a right to be mad. You don't have a right to feel this type of way. Well, that's how I felt. And then when I became a father, <laughs> the best feeling in the world. And now all of these new feelings are coming in. I'm able to identify what they are. I'm angry. And then not only that, but I'm knowing why I'm angry. And just not knowing how to control that at that age and not understanding why I have because I never had that understanding younger. It put me in a daisy. It put me in a daisy. I felt like I was in a washing machine on spin. <laughs> so you talk about the sensation of the feelings. So does that mean that prior to becoming a father, you didn't feel the sensations of emotions or you felt them and suppressed them just to make sure I understand? It was a suppression. Okay. Because it was embedded in my mind that I shouldn't feel this type of way. You shouldn't do this. You shouldn't do this. Or why are you doing this? And really not having the understanding of the why. You know, I think that's a big question that we don't ask a lot behind when we say we're angry or we're mad or we're sad. Why? Well, why is why are we angry, mad, or sad? And I think at that point or that age of my life, the why wasn't as important to me as it is now. Hmm. You know, I didn't understand why the why was important. I just knew I had them. And when I had them, I needed to react. And that's the difference between reacting and responding when it comes to emotional intelligence. If I'm reacting, then that's not intelligent because my primal nature is to just be aggressive because that's the nature of human human beings. More, more so of a man because we're innate to be protectors, providers. Rah, rah, rah. We're this... Right monstrous thing that we just have to be bold and we have to be heard and it's our way of the highway as opposed to women who are more rational and thought and they're like okay well let me think this out let me make this make sense moreover than let me re let me react in this way and so women are more intelligent emotionally at an earlier age because they learn how to respond and think things through at a at a higher level and i'm going to say something that's not going to be popular I know most men who may hear this is not going to like me, and you may hate me, but it's okay. But I'm just going to be the man to say it right now. Uh -huh. Yes, women are smarter than we are. <laughs> I'm going to say that out loud. Yes, women are much smarter than we are. They mature a lot quicker, and they think a lot faster on their feet than we do. So when we get it in our minds that, no, you will not be able to outthink a woman, then you begin to gain knowledge or entryway to understanding how to actually be there for a woman in a better capacity. You know, I, everybody always say um, men cheat physically, women cheat emotionally. Well, that's 100% accurate. Women do cheat because of lack of emotional things of that nature. But at the end of the day, men do it too. You know, I don't like the differences that we have as comparisons between us. But I will say women are very much more smarter than us and they mature at a higher rate than us, which allows them to have emotional intelligence at an early age. They are more exposed to that because they're, they're nature, they're nurturers, you know, they're nurturers by nature, so to speak. So you all bury kids, you, you carry kids, you, you you carry jobs, you cook, you clean, and all of these things are things that you're taught at such an early age that now when you get into your womanhood, either that's all you know, or that's all you can do, or that's all you're made to feel you can do. And I don't agree with that. Not at all. 
Hmm. So I want to push back a little bit, if I can. So <laughs> there is a popular idea that women deal with things from an emotional standpoint and men think about things from a logical standpoint, which then creates a problematic situation when there is conflict. Can you speak to that? I'm going to call cap on that. And what I mean by cap <laughs> is complete bullshit. Mm -hmm. As a man, I'm emotional first. I'm not going to lie to you. Uh, wow. Really? Really. I'm, I'm always, we're not going to identify it as an emotion. But think about it like this. Mm -hmm. I'm going to paint the picture. The picture is you come home and mm -hmm. you're frustrated and you're tired. I'm, I eat the man. I'm coming home. Oh, man. And I'm mad and I'm angry, but I haven't figured out why I'm mad and I'm angry. And you say, hey, honey, you like, oh, what do you want? Well, what do you mean? What do I want? What does that what does that look like? What do I want? What do you mean? What do I want? I don't understand. And I'm coming to you with this aggression, but it's not towards you. It's towards the situation that I just left. It's towards the thing that just bothered me. So now if I'm in this place and this aggression is aimed towards you. Why is it aimed towards you? Well, it's aimed towards you because I had a rough day at work, but I just haven't had the bandwidth or the ability to communicate that because I'm so in my feelings at that moment. That's not logical thought. That is emotional thought. If I'm upset because of a conversation that we might have had on the phone or because of a conversation that happened at work and I carry that into the home, then yes, I'm upset. I'm angry. That is an emotion. That is not a logical or rational thought. That is not something that allows us to just continue the conversation. It is a rational and emotional thought that I'm angry. Why am I angry? Well, I'm angry because I had a bad day at work. But have you thought about that? So if I was in my rational thought and I realized on my way home from work that, yes, I'm angry because I had this interaction, but I don't want to bring it home, then, yes, I can say we're rational. But no, as men, we carry it with us. We'll walk through the door and we'll be angry. Like I said, once again, in the scenario, we're angry, we're yelling, we're fussing and we're fussing at you because you said hello. But we're really angry at the fact that something happened at work that pissed us off. But we don't communicate that. And so that's not leading from a point of rationality that's leading from a point of emotions so yes men are more emotional women can check their shit at the door what i mean by that is a woman can go through hell at work and drive 100 miles and cook a dinner and still greet a man at the door and still smile that's rational thought because you're thinking i had this shitty day but I'm still going to be a wife to my husband. I'm still going to be a boyfriend to, I mean, girlfriend to my boyfriend. I'm still going to be all of these things to him in spite of. That takes thought. That takes processing. That takes rationality. Men don't have that all the time. And I'm not saying every man is that way, but most men are. We won't admit it, but we are. We're very emotional creatures. And I know, like I said, I'm going to be the most hated male after this podcast, but I don't care because <laughs> I live my truth. And I'm using I statements and I'm using statements that are not just general, but they're just, you know, hey, most men. And I can speak for most men because I like to believe that I'm very in tune with fellow Kingsmen that are out here like me, like-minded nature, and those that aren't. And I've gotten this opinion from many of them. So it's not just something that I'm coming off the top of my head with. It's something that I've had statistical data and scientific methods to prove. So if we can go backtrack real fast, when you were speaking about how 
as a child, you were conditioned to act a certain way, like don't cry, suck it up, things like that. Would you, would that be the definition of the origin of toxic masculinity? So, um, I'm not going to say it was the origin, but I'm going to say it definitely laid the foundation. Uh, The origin for toxic masculinity, if you really want me to, if we really break it down, we think about it, it's a developed technique. It's a developed train of thought that you gather through experiences. You never are born with it. You don't develop it right away. But when you become an adolescent and you're going into your adulthood, you then can pick up the toxic traits through different experiences that you've had in life. Uh, I'll say this. Um, My grandfather was a great man. Loved my grandmother. My grandfather would come home every day and he looked like he had the weight of the world on his shoulder. And as soon as my grandmother hugged him, it's like he melted. Um, My grandfather would, and he was a cop and a preacher. And so he would have days where he wouldn't get no sleep, eyes bloodshot red, and he could just look at my grandmother and and not cry. He never cried. He never complained. He would just hug her and you could just see like his shoulders hunched down. He just gets so vulnerable. I didn't realize at the time that was him, you know, emo- using his emotional intelligence because I never heard him complain. I never heard him yell at her. I never heard him fuss at her. I never heard him do anything. None of that stuff. None of it. And so in my mind, I'm like, oh, okay, this is dope. On the other side of that, when I lived with my mother and my stepfather, all I saw was rage and anger and no emotions and this vibrato that, oh, well, I said, and you better do it. Well, I'm this and that, and you better understand it. You know, this this rhetoric of dictatorship of I'm the superior being over you. That was all I saw uh, as a teenager through my stepfather and my mother's interactions. And it hurt me to the fact, you know, this man could be, this man could say he loved her, but yet he would talk to her like a dog. Wow. Yeah. I knew pimps on the street that were talking to their hoes better than he was talking to my mother. Uh. And I'm saying that with all due respect because I've been there. Like I said, the caliber of men that I was growing up in my city, they were the guys on the block and they were all pimps and drug dealers and they talked to their women like that. And even and sometimes I felt like they talked better to them. That creates toxic culture when you're exposed to an environment and the people that you see as role models are, are are being very demeaning towards women and not teaching you anything. They're just letting you see this toxic behavior without correcting it and allowing it to be something that you soak and bathe in. You know, that's not that's a developed and alert thing. That's not something that you just inherit. And if I'm being honest, it's a choice, too, because if you know right from wrong, you know what's right when you speak and you know what's wrong when you speak. So you're choosing the easier route because you're making an excuse to say, oh, I've always learned this or this always. No, I didn't. I always learned a lot of bad things, but do I carry them with me now? No, I don't. So DeAndre Whitfield has coined a phrase, man, boy. Are you familiar with that? Or boy, Uh, man? I'm a little bit familiar with it, yes. Okay, so what he essentially says is that there are adult men walking around with childlike mentality. 
Because for the reasons you stated, there was a lack of positive male um, role models. Mm -hmm. So what I would like to know is when that type of a man, a man boy or a boy man, whichever way you want to look at it, is in a relationship with a woman in a heterosexual normative dynamic, um, what ways have you seen in your work that happens to be a challenge as far as communication? Hmm. Um, compassion, uh, patience and understanding. Um, I would say this and I really don't lead with my personal beliefs but I'm going to lead with them at this statement. Um, never anywhere that I can see uh, did it require in the Bible for a woman to love a man, only to submit. Now, the age old question is that most men run around, oh, you're supposed to submit to me, you're supposed to submit to me, but what we're not doing is understanding how submission is earned. And yes, I said earned, not given. Hmm. A woman is not entitled to give you submission. You have to earn that title. You have to earn that right to be submitted to. And how you do that is through love and compassion. You don't do it with an iron fist. You don't do it with brass words. You don't do it with vibrato. You do it with love and compassion because men are required to love women as Christ loved the church. Hmm. So if men are required to love women as Christ loved the church and we do that, as Christ does it or whatever deity or whatever entity you believe, because in all facets of religion of faith, love is always in there. So if we lead with love, we lead with kindness. If we lead with the heart of whatever deity we serve, then submission is already there. It's not a fight. It's not a struggle. It's not a push. It's not a pull. And you will earn it because you have earned access to a different point of a woman's heart of her nature. And I think that's kind of what I do when I talk to my clients, when I'm trying to get a man to understand that, that you cannot rule your kingdom as a tyrant. Look at every king that has ever ruled a kingdom. Even if you take it to, if, if you go to the basis of coming to America, King Jaffe Jofa was, oh, let them wait. I'm talking to my son and all of that. And then when it came to the matters of the heart, when it came to his son, he amended a rule that had been an age-old tradition amongst the country for years. Uh-huh. This is true. He was, told, he was told to be betrothed to his wife because he had compassion and love for his son. As a king, I have the right now because I love my son so much. Because I want my son's happiness to be the first thing in my life. Now I'm going to amend this rule and I'm going to say, hey, you can marry who you choose. That's leadership. That's kingship. That's submission on a whole nother level, because guess what? Love is the key to all things. Matters of the heart are always driven from love and communication. So if you have love in your heart for your person, your significant, your, your son, your daughter, you can communicate anything with love, compassion and patience. Nobody's going to get it right the first time. But if we continue to exemplify the love and compassion in our hearts and the method that we communicate, via soft words and sometimes via stern words, but not stern as in directives, but stern as in, uh, hey, look, 
we've had this conversation, but I want to reiterate this is something that we can't accept. Instead of, I've told you this before and it's getting on my nerves. The tone and the the intention of the words are what are going to melt the heart. So when I talk to my fellas, I'm talking to them in a compassionate way. Of course, if I'm talking to a man that's very aggressive, I'm going to talk to him stern. I'm going to talk to him in a way that helps him understand. But I'm also going to let him know that's not going to win her over. And it's not going to win me over. Because if you want to get into a pissing match with me and you want to do the alpha male shit, we can go toe for toe. Because no matter how in touch with my feelings I am, I am still a man. And I'm a confident man who understands his position in life and where he is. I've achieved what I've achieved through hard work. And so you can't take that away from me because my identity is resolute and who I am is not questioned in any method by anyone. Uh You're not going to downplay my words and we're not going to get into this pissing match because you're not going to win. My piss is going to be longer than yours because it's just you're not going to be able to outwit me. You're not going to be able to dominate me. You're not going to be able to talk down to me because there's nothing you can't do or take from me. But I'm going to add value to you by showing you. Hey, look, this is not where we're at, but hey, I'm going to still work with you through my love and compassion and wanting you to be helped. I'm not going to give up because you get pissed at me. I'm not going to tap out because you get pissed at me because of my capacity to be there for you, to want you to be better. See, once again, this is me breaking down this traumatic cycle of people running away from you, people yelling at you, people giving up because you want to be loud and boisterous. No, I'm going to show you. I love you past this. I have compassion enough to understand that you're hurting and you really don't know how to communicate this. So now I'm going to be patient enough to walk through this with you, no matter how you feel. Once again, love, compassion, and patience. Wow. Let that just marinate for a second. (laughs) (laughs) Woo. I want to transition into Mm -hmm. A quote that I came across and I'm going to paraphrase it because I can't remember exactly how it went, but it was basically something to the effect of you can't think yourself out of an emotional state or you can't think yourself out of your emotions. What does that bring up for you as a life coach and then also secondary as a man? So we have uh, a series of people who are very logical and critical thinkers, and I love them because they make a lot of difference in the world. Without critical and logical thinkers, we wouldn't have a lot of the inventions and things that we have today. So they're very necessary. But what they aren't are very good at their words or their ability to bend or be compassionate because they're always in their head. And so. The phrase you can't think yourself out of your emotions is because people want to make sense of anger and sadness and love and and all of these other entities. But you can't make sense of it. You can always get to the bottom of where they come from. But where did anger come from? Can you break that down for me? Can you break down where anger come from originally? No, you can't. Can you break down why you're sad? Yeah, you can break down the why, but can you break down where sadness came from? No, you can't. And so these things that we try to outthink, oh, well, 
if I do this, if I do this, no. Sometimes you got to lean into the emotion because the emotion is the vulnerable parts. The emotions are the things that allow you to feel, that allow you to live. I don't want to live in a life where I can't feel pain. Hmm. And the reason why I don't want to live in a life where I can't feel pain, because if I never feel pain, I'll never know what joy feels like. I'll never know what comfort feels like. If I don't feel discomfort, I won't know what comfort feels like. It's the yin and the yang of life. You can't have one without the other when it comes to emotions and intelligence. You just can't. But what if I can marry the two? Hmm. What if I can take time to be in my thoughts, but still allow my emotions to have a place? You know, I was reading a book. It's a book that really changed my life. Uh, it's called The Path Made Clear by Oprah Winfrey. Uh -huh. And it's a term or it's a it's an interview where an author says, hey, I, I say hello to my anxiety. Hello, old friend. You can rest now. I accept you accepting those emotions and those feelings as opposed to fighting against them and trying to think your way out of it or talk your way out of it or or or, or just fix the problem <laughs> even to say you know it's it's so not necessary when it's pertaining to relationships when it's pertaining to life because you can't think past your emotions your emotions have to be processed and the only way you can get through them is by actually going through them hmm. we want to rush past the pain we want to rush past the sadness and not really identify that it's there not accept that it's there it's like this if and i'm going to be candid and transparent you know i would tell i would tell my ex-wife all the time i love you i love you i love you every day i love you i love you i love you and if i'm telling her that every day it got to a point where it just became mechanical and not emotional. Hmm. When it gets to that point, I got to check, self-check, be like, yo, why am I saying this? So I stopped saying it. Mm -hmm. I stopped saying it. And because I said it so much, my ex-wife then said, well, why you don't tell me you love me no more? I said, because I was saying it all the time and I didn't know whether or not I meant it. You don't mean you love me? I said, no, I just needed to check myself to see if it was real. And so now when I say it, it means something, right? Mm -hmm. But then I looked at it like I meant it every day I said it. From that point on? No, no. I'm, even at that point, when I go back and I look at it, I meant it every day I said it. Oh, wow. Okay. You know, and the reason why I meant it every day I said it, because I did love this woman. Because I would take a bullet for this woman in any day. I would, I would move the earth for this woman at any time, at any point in the day. Mm-hmm. But I just wasn't... I, you know, this this whole thing about not being able to express or the mechanics of expression has been so overlooked that we know we don't self-check. We don't self-correct. We don't self-evaluate. I'm a big proponent of self-evaluation. I, I check myself every day. I often think at the end of the day, what could I have done differently today? Or what did I say differently today that's going to make a difference? And, you know, that self-evaluation, that self-check as a man, if we do it and we have the bandwidth or the emotional intelligence to actually be honest with our thoughts and our feelings, right? Then we will find that, you know, we have gaps in the day where we were not authentic. I think our emotions allow us to be authentic when we're not using or we don't utilize our emotions at all. We're not our most authentic self and we're just robots running the game of life. You know, at that point, we go from playing chess to just playing checkers because now it's just, oh, checkmate. 
No, it's not checkmate. You just jumping over the things. You're not really getting to the point. When you playing chess, it's very strategic. Not strategic as far as when it comes to relations, not strategic as far as I'm playing ahead for this or she says this is no strategic and I know my emotions. I'm going to make room and space for my emotions to take place. So let me think about how my emotions affect me and my significant or my, my son or my daughter and then make the proper moves. Then that's chess until you can get to that thought process or that rationale of how you function. You just playing checkers. Well, I feel like that's a drop the mic moment if I ever heard one. <laughs> <laughs> no, nah, I mean, think about it. Like, I think the thing about it is this. And I can speak from this point because as a man, I've done the work. I've, uh -huh. I'm, I'm an advocate for therapy. Uh, I make no qualms with the things that I struggle with as far as my mental health. And I also do my own shadow work. Like I do the shadow work, the work that is deep inside your soul that really causes you to look at yourself in a way that checks you like none other. The dark places inside of your heart that you don't really want to access, the things that haunt you. The one question in my work that, that, that to this day haunted me is what's your biggest fear? Hmm. And when that question was asked, I... I said this, but then when I really thought about it, that wasn't my biggest fear in the beginning was not being successful. Mm -hmm. Right. Even though you're hella successful, but moving on. Even though, right. Even yeah. though I'm successful in the things that I do, um, that was my biggest fear, not being successful. But then when I dug deeper after being in a marriage and going through a divorce mm -hmm. and going through my work where for five years I didn't date or anything i just dealt with self after going through all that my biggest fear then became i'm going to be alone and i'm not going to be able to father a child that became my biggest fear and when i dealt with that rationale it led me through the chain of thought that like yo i had a son my son is no longer here why isn't my son here oh i had these other children that were not born why are they these thoughts came and now the fear became real and I was able to face that fear. And it was a moment in my life that I cried and I bawled out and I couldn't really stop crying. I couldn't stop. And so I called my significant at the time who I was with, who we lost our children. I'm like, yo, I, what do we do? Where do we go from here? How do we deal with this? You know, and it hurt. And it was really good work because it brought me to a place well, I can now understand that my biggest fear is this and I can conquer it and it doesn't affect me anymore. And now that I've conquered that and if I go back and ask the question again, because I've done the work, because I've done the work in conquering that fear of never fathering a child. And I've had the conversation with the woman that I had children with. that We did not have our child children of birth. Guess what? Now that fear is no longer there. So I can walk out of that place. Oh, from my shadow work to say I'm not afraid of that anymore but then guess what if I ask that question again and I deep search again I'm going to find another thing to be afraid of if I'm if I'm there if I'm being honest with myself if I'm being my authentic self and allow myself to utilize my brain and my emotions at the same time I want to find something else to be fearful of and that's another demon to tackle this work is ongoing it never stops and because of this work that I've done it's brought me to a place now where I can I can be Terrell and be unapologetic and be happy. Hmm. So, transitioning one more time. Let's go. 
give me some insight on what protecting one's peace looks like in a world that is so chaotic and where you're always being bombarded with messages and with expectations. Mm. I could sum it up in one word, Tasha, if I'm being honest. Oh, one word? Okay. One word. I thought you were going to give me bullet points, but all right, you got one word. I'm here for it. Boundaries. Mm. Boundaries. Oh, my God, boundaries. Protecting your peace comes with setting healthy boundaries and knowing what healthy boundaries are. And in protecting your peace and setting those boundaries, the power of the word no is very significant. No should be a complete sentence. Hmm. No should be a complete, complete sentence because how many times are you saying yes to something that doesn't honor you? How many times are you saying, oh, I'll do this when you really don't want to get out your bed to do anything? How many times are you saying, oh, honey, um, I, I, I'll go pick up the groceries and you don't want to go pick up the groceries or let's just be honest and I'm going to be candid. Oh, baby, I want to go ahead. You know, I want to be intimate with you tonight and you really don't feel like what you're doing. OK, go ahead. And you're not enjoying that. You're hating every moment of that. You're not really into it. And that's that's a boundary that you cross because now you're not being true to yourself. No, when I think of protecting my peace, it's not so much about protecting everybody else. It's more so about protecting me because that's the phrase, protecting my peace, protecting your peace. That's the thing. We don't understand that boundary of protecting your peace. It's not about your significant. It's not about your child. It's not about anything else. It's about you. What is true to you? Like I said, you I, I can count countless times that I've had people that I've counseled and I've talked to and they say, well, I don't want to have sex, but I did it because he wanted me to. You're not obligated to do that. You're not obligated to have sex. But what you are obligated to do is communicate your needs and your boundaries, because maybe it's not in that moment or maybe it's something that he hasn't done or that he needs to do to get you to that place. But if you're not protecting your peace and you're not setting the boundaries and you're not open to communication then none of that works. So protect your peace has so many different facets, but I'm just going to say we're understanding the boundaries. Like I said, this thing about intimacy and boundaries and protect your peace is all in one encompassed thing, but it all comes down to understanding how boundaries are set, setting them, sticking to them, understanding your no is your no, and putting yourself first. Self-care and self-love is key when you're protecting your peace because it's not about anybody else. It's about you. You have to come first. You have to matter. You have to be the reason and the one that says, I got to put me first. So protecting my peace can't be done by your significant. It has to be done by you. Your significant can protect you from the outward things, but the inward things inside of you, he can't protect you. Your peace, he can't protect. That's inside of your mind and your heart. Only you can by being an advocate for self, by speaking up when you don't want to do things, by allowing yourself to use the art of the no. Hmm. Ooh, my goodness. So many gems. I have one more thing to tackle if you're down for it. Let's go. I feel like, like Khalil Mack right now. Let's go. <laughs> okay. Can you tell me how utilizing a strategic tool in interpersonal communication, um, the 
non-negotiable lists. Can you speak to what that strategy is and how people can utilize it in their day-to-day -day interactions with their husbands, wives, significant others, or whatever may have you? Okay. So uh, this conversation is something that should happen long before we get into a relationship. Every person has their thing. So when I look at it for me in relationships, uh, and I've done this, I've written down a list of things that I am willing to accept and things that I'm not willing to accept. You know, the non-negotiables are the things that you like, I right, this is it. This is not, no, not at all. I'm not doing this. If this is presented here, then I'm not, I'm not with it. I'm not with it anymore. You know, so I'll say this. Um, if you're going through a non-negotiable list and this is just not mine, so I'm just going to do it at random. Say your non-negotiable is I'm not, you know, I want sex five times a week. And your mate, your significant or your mate or whatever is like, yeah, well, no, I don't want it five times a week. I only want it two. If that's a non-negotiable for you, then you all are not meant to be mates or you need to have a further conversation to deep dive why this is not something you're willing to compromise to. You know, the non-negotiables are things that you have that you're like dead ass. No, I'm not. I'm not on that. I'm not about that life. They can be amendable based upon the level of relationship that you have and how much, you know, work you all have done and how open the relationship is to communication and just being flexible to one another's needs and wants. But if, in fact, that communication can't happen and this person like, no, no budge, no move on that. And it's something that you desire, you want. Now you got to be true to yourself and ask that hard question. Can I sustain a solid relationship with this person if they're not willing to do this specific thing? That's what the non-negotiable is for is just to give you a topic of conversation to say, hey, these are the things that I want to do that I like that I need in order to sustain a positive and emotionally intelligent and complete relationship. And, and and that's why the list is there. It's there to protect you and your partner from any long-term harm. Because I'll be honest with you, you don't want to be 12, 13 years in a marriage or in a relationship and your needs are not being met. Your non-negotiables are not being, you know, they're being looked over or brushed off. And the only reason why I can say that because I've been in one where the things, well, let me let me backtrack because I'll say this. I didn't know what my non-negotiable was then. I didn't do the research or the have the bandwidth to really understand what I needed and what I wanted. So I didn't have a non-negotiables list. And so because of that, when I started developing one, I realized a lot of my needs weren't being met. So I was in a marriage way too long than I should have been. And that's okay. Because I don't see it as a loss. I see it as a lesson. But that non-negotiable list, had I had that then, I don't know what would have happened now. I don't know if I would have been married. I don't know what my life would look like now. Because the non-negotiables, as it pertains to relationships and even with life and business, I got a list of non-negotiables when it comes to doing business deals and things of that nature. First of all, if you can't accept me as I am, if I want to come to a meeting in jogging pants and a t-shirt, and, and we trying to work out a business deal together, that's a non-negotiable for you, then I'm not the man for you to do business with. It's not my loss, it's yours, because I know what I bring to the table, but then again, it's, it is what it is. I am so, so, so very grateful for you taking time out of your busy schedule to do this episode. I feel like it will absolutely impact the lives of my listeners on a very 
real level. We had a very deep dive conversation, I would say, into things that truly matter in this day and age if we are to have successful relationships. So thank you so much for your time, Mr. Anderson. And I look forward to working with you in the future if you're open to doing so. I'm all about it. It was a good time. I appreciate it. I know I ran my mouth a lot, but guess what? I got a lot to say and you gave me a platform to do it. So I appreciate that. Absolutely. You shared so many gems. So again, my name is Tasha Ray. I am the host of Womanhood Decoded, where each episode we endeavor to explore the intersections of womanhood, motherhood, and sexuality. So for this week, I will say peace, love, happiness, and emotional intelligence. <laughs> <laughs> okay, until next time, everybody. Bye-bye. All right, y'all.